Good morning. Welcome out to Vail Church. My name is Ted Max. I get to serve on staff here as the lead pastor. We are glad you are here this weekend. If you're in the house, in the room, if you could help me by welcoming those that are joining us online today, we're glad you're with us wherever you're tuning in from. Uh, those of you in Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, Brazil, Texas, Wisconsin, state of Illinois, wherever you are, thanks for being here as we continue our series, Be a Light. Uh, we're jumping into week two of a series that really revolves around the idea of, hey, how do we take what we've learned, what we know, um, our faith, and how do we share it with the world? Like, like, what's the responsibility there? What's a way that we can engage this culture? And it's something that's built into the kind of the DNA of the church, and it's through scripture that there's a responsibility that's given to all followers of Jesus. And so we're going to get into that. But before we jump in, I want to highlight something that was just in the video. We've got Rooted coming up. And I always like to take a moment before that opens up just to kind of tell you why it's really important. And if you've not done it, it is a great place to start. If you're plugging into the church, maybe after being away for a while, or maybe you just kind of got questions about faith, Rooted is a great place to connect with God and the church. And so it's coming up here this next semester. And if you want to check it out, there's a table in the lobby. Uh, you can go by. They'll give you some information. If you're online, you can actually check out veil.church, and there's a section for Rooted, and you can learn about that experience. But I want to encourage you to do it. Um, sometimes people ask me, like, well, I've been, a, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. Do I really need to go through Rooted? And um, I always like to tell them, uh, I'm your pastor, and I've been through it twice. Um, so yes, it's not based on how long you've been a Christian or if you're new to faith. It's something foundational. And I always get something out of it every time I go. Uh, I love connecting with new people and a chance to kind of get back to the roots of why I believe what I believe. And so if you've not done it, I want to encourage you, stop by today. Get some information, see if it's something that you want to participate in this next semester. We would love to have you. Um, but today, I want to kind of jump into uh, where we left off this last week. But before we do, I just want to kind of remind some people who are coming back to church um, that this is not one of those churches where it's just quiet and you sit and I talk and you just listen. Uh, this is a responsive church. Like, it's okay to be in the church and chat a little bit. I can already hear some kids having a conversation. It's great. Um, and if you're here, um, every once in a while, it's okay when something connects with you in the message where you want to, like, you just feel like you want to respond, it's okay just to say like, amen. In fact, let's just try it real quick. Say amen. amen. Right? It just lets me know that you're with me. It also just means let it be. So basically, as I say something comes out of God's word, and you're like, ooh, I like that. Let it be. You just say amen. Right? One more time. Amen. amen. All right, good. You're in the right church. All right, so let's get into this today. I want to take you to the book of Matthew, uh, where we kind of get this, this command, this directive from Jesus about who we are intended to be. And so let me read for you Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It says, You are the light of the world. In fact, would you say this with me? Say, You. you. Now, you know what's funny about this word, you? It's, it's easy when we say it, we think about other people, right? We usually use it in an outward way. We say, You, right? You. Like, this is for you. And, and I just want you to kind of receive it that this is for us, right? This, when I say you, it means that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what God's intention and command was for us as his people. It says that you are the light of the world. You see, because Jesus came to be light in a dark place. He came to illuminate for you the way of life and the direction and the pathway back to God. And he says, now that I've been that light, you now become the light. And so I want you to take that light and I want you to go into the world because you are the light of the world. He then makes this directive. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead they put it on a stand so that it can give light to every single person that's in the house. It says in the same way, let your, say your. Once again, this is for you. Your light shine before others that they may see your, say your, good works and give glory to. 
there we go, your Father who is in heaven. It says that your job is to be this light, to live in such a way that people see God through you. Now, that doesn't mean perfectly, all right? I always like to remind people, because usually people on the outside love to look at Christians when, you know, we say we're followers of Jesus, and they love to be like, well, then you should have it all together. And I'm like, ooh, not really. Um, you know, we, we have a perfect Savior. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. Someone say amen. Like, that's just good news for you. We can't be perfect. We can pursue, and we can follow, and we can little by little become more and more like Jesus, but we never do it perfectly. But he says, instead, focus on being a light and allow people to see the works that God is doing through you that you may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says, that's the command. And so I think about this through the power of invitation, right? I don't know how many of you go through your life and think about times where you've been invited to something and they've been powerful invitations, right? Just think about that for a second. Like I can think of some powerful invitations in my life. I remember when I invited my wife for the very first time, who at the time wasn't my wife, uh, I invited her to Steak and Shake to have some shakes. Now, you gotta know that I was into her because I hate Steak and Shake. Nothing against the food, I just don't like the cold environment. Like, I feel like you could throw me up on the table and perform surgery. It's just cold, it's white, I don't like it. But it was the only place that was open, and I remember being like, hey, do you wanna go get a shake? And it was a special moment to be there with Amy, and then years later, that invitation led to her becoming my wife. I think of a youth pastor years ago who saw something in me that I did not see in me. And he said, hey, I'd love for you to come and help me, come serve alongside me to care for some students. Would you come do that? And the invitation opened my life up to ministry. And I'm convinced it was that invitation that led me to full-time ministry. It was that impact. It was these little ask, these little invitations that have changed my life. And I'm convinced that is true of the invitation to follow Christ. I think of when people are invited to follow God, that invitation is powerful and it has the potential to change everything about them. In fact, Jesus told a story about this one time. He was uh, speaking and teaching, and he always used stories to convey who God was. In fact, if you were to look through the Bible, many of the times that Jesus would preach and teach, he was always trying to convey this really big idea. He was always trying to convey the idea that there's a kingdom of God, and there's rules that regulate the way that God sees the world. Like, we live in the, the, the rules and the laws of men, but Jesus wanted us to understand how God thinks and how God sees the world, and so he'd always be preaching and teaching to the kingdom of heaven. And so at one of these points, he's decided to teach this message through the story of a man that's gonna throw a party, a guy that basically planned for a banquet. He said, I, I put together this banquet, I have an invitation, get a, a, a list of people I wanna invite, and I want you to see how God sees you when it comes to this idea of invitation. And so we're gonna pick this up, um, but before we do, I wanna remind you really quick what we did last week. Last week, I asked you to pray specifically for five people to put together your list. If you were gonna invite people to encounter Jesus, who would you invite? I wanted you to come up with five names, pray for them. And over the course of last week, we, we had people take light bulbs and write those five names, and we're basically putting them on this massive display out in the lobby. And so if you've not done that this week, I wanna encourage you to take that marker, write the names on the, the five names on the bulb, go put it in that board, and we're gonna pray every single day over that board that God would do something miraculous to that. In fact, I had met someone in the last service who uh, found me before the service started and said, hey, would you come over here? I was like, yeah, sure, what's up? He said, hey, I wanna introduce you to someone. Uh, this is my one that I invited, one of my five that came with me this week. And I was like, wow, you work fast. Um, you know, like put it on the bulb and was like, well, why waste time? Why don't you come to church with me? And so they joined them this weekend. And so we wanna invite you to do the same thing. Write the names down, pray. And then once you've done that, um, invite boldly. But for those of you online, I want to let you know you can also participate. You can actually text in the word LIGHT to 309-777-0677, and we will write those names on the bulb for you. And so if you want to do that right now, send it in. We will take care of it. We'd love to pray for your friends as you invite them to join you at your home or come to church 
invite you back into the building and they can come with you. But we wanna make this initiative to pray and then out of prayer, we wanna learn to invite boldly. And so this is where we're gonna pick up. We're gonna pick up in our story as Jesus talks about this concept of what does it look like to invite boldly. And so we're gonna find this in Luke chapter 14. If you got your Bibles, you can follow along. We're gonna spend the rest of our time there. But here's where it starts. It says this, Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So he kind of sets up the story. He says, listen, there's this guy. He represents God, that God has basically put together this banquet, this, this gathering. He wants people to come. And he says, I've made a list. Now, I want to give you just a little insight that, that what this story speaks to me. Um, I, I think if you were to look at this holistically, you actually find that Jesus is telling the long story of God through this short little narrative. You see, the way that God originally worked in, in, in the world is he kind of called a group of people to himself, the Jewish people. That, that was the original plan. Like, they were his chosen people. And if you know the, the story, like, he, he cared for them. He guided them. He sent prophets and laws to kind of direct them to him and to keep them connected to him. But at some point, that group of people struggled to listen. They struggled to follow God. If you know their story, it was always up and down. One moment, they were like, we love God. The next minute, they are like, we don't love God. You know, like, it was just always over and over. And so at some point... God decides to change things up a little bit. All of a sudden, he, he decides to, to change things, and here's why. The rest of the story kind of gives us the picture. Here's what happens. He says, but they all alike began to make excuses. He said they began to make excuses. They began to kind of come up with reasons why, why they weren't going to be obedient, why they weren't going to follow, why they weren't going to trust God. And it says this, uh, the first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and, and see it. Please have me excused. Like, I, I've already got plans. I can't make it. He said the second one uh, said, hey, I'm in a similar situation. I I bought five yoke of oxen, and I I have to go examine them, so so please have me excused. And then another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come, right? (laughs) It's my wife's fault. She said I can't leave the house. It's just, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, It's more of just like the tradition was in Deuteronomy was if you married someone, the, the husband for a year was not allowed to travel um, to war or to leave the land, go on long journeys. He was really kind of supposed to stay home and make sure that the, the marriage was good, that it was intact. And so that was kind of what this is referencing. But the reality was, is he, he wasn't kept from coming to a banquet. You could have brought your wife with you. He's, he makes this picture to say that people came up with excuses, and you're always going to have people that are going to have excuses why they can't come to church. I, I hear them all the time. I love to invite people to church, and they're like, ooh, yeah, Sunday's just not good. Yeah, Sunday's not a good time. I'm like, well, we have Saturday services. They're like, ooh, Saturday, Saturday, yeah, that's also not good. You know, like, like it's, we can always find a reason, right? We're good at excuses. I can come up with an excuse not to go to something. Like, that's not hard for me. As an introvert, my wife's the one that'll be like, yes, let's go. People invite us over. She's like, when do you want to do that? I'm like, ooh, I don't know, 2027? You know, like, I'll check my calendar. I'll let you know, you know. It's really easy to come up with reasons why. And he says that there's sometimes people just aren't going to follow. They're not going to come. Now, why does Jesus tell this story? Because the truth is, is we find this true of the people of Israel. There are many, many seasons they had excuses to why they weren't going to follow God, why they weren't going to obey many, many times. And so then Jesus shows up and all of a sudden the paradigm changes. All of a sudden God stops just inviting the Jewish people, but he kind of opens up the door and says, no, it's not just for the Jewish people. Here, let me read on. Here's what it says. It says, the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to invite the outsider. 
I want you to invite the person that's fallen on hard times. I want you to invite the person that's in pain. I want you to invite the person that's struggling. I want you to invite all the people. You see, because this isn't just for the people that were on the invitation list. This is for everybody. Like Jesus shows up and changes the whole story of God. He says, God is not just here for this people. God is here for all people for all time. God's original intention was to be in relationship with everyone. And Jesus is telling this story saying, I want you to know that you're invited. I want you to know that people who have messed up are invited. I want you to know that people who have fallen short are invited. I want you to know that people who think that they're undeserving of God's grace, that they're invited. Jesus changes the whole thing. In fact, can I just show you a story in the Bible that really kind of demonstrates this? I think powerfully. There's a place in Israel, it's one of my favorite places to visit. I've been there six different times. I'll be there again this next summer, taking a group of around 55 people to Israel. And um, there's this place called Caesarea Philippi. All right, it's a very famous place. You may have heard of it. I'll give you the kind of context of it. It's the spot where Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then at one point, he actually asked Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? It's a very important question. It's probably the most important question on the planet. Like, who do you say Jesus is? Right? Jesus was asking a very important question. And Peter gets this answer, just he nails it, like perfectly. If you know the story, Peter responds back to Jesus. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And at that moment, Peter draws a really big correlation that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher, but he was the son of the living God. And in that moment, Jesus goes, you're right, Peter. You're right. And then he makes this crazy statement. He says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And many people have used that verse as kind of, if you, if you know anything about Catholicism, they usually use that verse to kind of demonstrate that that was the moment that Jesus gave all authority and power to Peter, that Peter was gonna become the first pope of the church. Um, a lot of the Catholic tradition says this was the moment that Jesus elevated Peter above the others. But here, I wanna give you a little context. At Caesarea Philippi was actually the place that they called the Panion. It was the place that they worshiped the god Pan. Now, here's why this is important. There at Caesarea Philippi, to this day, you can actually see the niches they've carved out in the rocks where they would have idols, and you can see the spot where they used to have the actual temple to Pan. This was a very pagan place, a very dark place. Lots of idol worship, pagan worship. Now, here's why this is important. That journey where Jesus took his disciples was a five to seven day walk to get there. Five to seven days to get there, Five to seven days to get back. There was nothing else in the region to see. There was nothing else in the region to do. Jesus took his disciples to a very dark pagan place for this little encounter with Peter where he makes this statement about building a church that will stand against the gates of hell and he does it in this spot and the question becomes why and the why is found in what happens there. You see, this temple that was built to Pan was a place where they would actually do worship but they would do it in a way that we would consider probably pretty disgusting. They would actually kill people there. People would bring their newborn babies, according to Josephus, the historian, and they would take them into the Temple of Pan. In the back of the Temple of Pan, there was a window. That window led about 500 to 800 feet down into the ground into a cave where there was a stream that runs through, and they would take the babies and they would throw them through the window, and they would sacrifice them to Pan. It was a place that people thought that they were worshiping a God that would care for them and that would bring rejuvenation to their seasons and their crops and give them things that they would believe in if they would simply sacrifice to him. And you see, this is the place, this is the spot that in this moment, Jesus stands and he makes this statement about building a church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, here's why this is fascinating because the cave itself was actually called the gates of hell. It was a place that was actually named the gates of hell in the time of Jesus. And Jesus says, I will build my church and this pagan worship, this pagan religion will not stand against the church. And here it is 2,000 years later and guess who was right? Jesus. 
They're no longer worshiping Pan, but people everywhere today are worshiping Jesus everywhere. You see, why did he take five to seven days to come to this place? Here's why. Jesus wanted to make one very powerful statement to his disciples, and this was it. That Jesus doesn't run from messy people. He doesn't run from messy people. In fact, I would actually go a little bit step further. You go through the Bible, and here's what you find about Jesus. Jesus runs to messy people. Jesus looks for messy people. Like, you know what I love about the church? What I love about the church, and what I love about this church, is this church is filled with messy people. No offense, I'm just gonna say it. Like, like, and I can say it because, because I'm up here preaching, and I can tell you, I'm a messy person. I was saved by grace through faith, and God got a hold of me when I was a messy person. I would love to say that I'm no longer messy, but I still have that sin nature in me, and I'm reminded that I need God's grace daily. Like, I'm a messy person. And the truth is, the church exists so that messy people can come and encounter God. And that's what I love about this. That's what I love about Jesus. I love about the story that he tells. He says, listen, this is what we have to be about. He says that we are here for messy people. And I'm reminded that many of us, if we were honest, we would recognize that we need this story too. In fact, I want to show you what happens here. Here's what it says. It says, and the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. And then he says this, and still there is room. I think sometimes in the church, we can sometimes forget that there's still room for people to come. I think sometimes we can make our experience of church about us. It's kind of like we find a church, we find the spot that we get fed, we find the spot where we get what we want, and, and it becomes about us. And we need to recognize that once we come into faith, it actually needs to become less about us and more about the mission that God has for us. You see, what happens in church is that I think that we, we don't have a, a seating issue, we don't have a room issue, We've got a mission issue. I did some research I thought was fascinating. I just wanted to kind of find out, so I did, did a bit of looking around. Uh, do you know there's four churches for every one McDonald's in the U.S.? Four churches for every one McDonald's. I don't know if you feel that way about McDonald's. I feel like everywhere I go, I see McDonald's, right? I'm driving through Bloomington, Normal, like McDonald's, 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 McDonald's. I'm going down the highway, McDonald's, right? You go to a small town, they're like, we've got a Casey's and a McDonald's, right? They've, they've got a McDonald's. They're everywhere. And there's four churches for every one McDonald's. And then I started thinking about Bloomington Normal, and so I wanted to do a little research. You know there's about 100,000 people that live in Bloomington Normal? There's about 150,000 people if you take students and you take the outlying areas. You could call it 160, 165, depending on how far you go outside. But I started looking how many churches are in Bloomington Normal. In Bloomington Normal, we have about 100 churches. 100 churches. Now, a lot of them are empty. There's a lot of them that are struggling. There's some that are big. There's some in the middle, but most of them are small. But if you took all of the seats of those churches and you did the math, I found that if every single church in Bloomington Normal did two services, maybe three, because I can't figure out how big everyone's auditorium is, there would actually be a seat for every man, woman, and child in Bloomington Normal and the surrounding areas for them to go to church. It's not a seating issue. We've got room for people to come to church. We just haven't been on mission to invite them. We just haven't filled all of the churches yet. And I get, you might look around Vail and like, well, there's a lot of people here, you know, like the room's full here. But you know what is cool about this room is that we can fill this room up multiple times. We do it three times a weekend. Pretty soon we're gonna have to go do it four times a weekend. At some point we might have to do it five times a weekend. And guess what? That's the sacrifice you make so that more people can come. You see, there's always more room. And he says, but we've gotta be on mission. And yet why are people afraid to do the mission? I wanna show you to you. I think here's why people are afraid of it. I think we, if we were to look at faith on this scale, we'd recognize that this is before Christ, this is after Christ, and every single person goes on this journey. Every single person starts somewhere. Some of us, we can remember, maybe you, you weren't raised in church, and you say, you know what, I remember when I was really far from God. I remember when I was there, and I, and I know the journey that it took to get to this moment, this line of faith, this decision point. 
And it was a, it was a journey of conversations and reading and, and going to church and having people challenge me and teach me things. And it was, it was a slow journey until I finally came to this moment. And yet most people are afraid of this moment. The reason that we sometimes are afraid to invite people is we think that it's our responsibility to get people to this moment. Like we're like, well, what if I invite them and they don't connect? What if I invite them and they don't believe? What if I invite them and they, they, they don't give their lives to Christ? We feel responsible for that. And I just wanna release you from that for a minute. Like you don't have a responsibility to save anybody. In fact, I, I love to tell people I've never saved anybody. I never have. I've been there when thousands of people over the course of my ministry, thousands of people, I've been there at the moment that they said yes to Jesus, but I didn't save them. Jesus saved them. Jesus called them to himself. Jesus moved their hearts. They responded and they came to him and they gave their allegiance and their faith to him. I just happened to be in the room when it happened. Um, I didn't do any of the work. Jesus did it. My responsibility is to be faithful with God's word and then let God's word do the work that only he can do. And so when we believe that and trust that, all of a sudden we recognize that our invitation is not about this. You are not responsible for this. You're responsible for this. You're responsible for this. You're responsible for this. We are responsible for helping people take steps. And the way we do it is by inviting. We invite them to come. We invite them to learn. We invite them to ask questions. And we do it little by little. But God is responsible for this. And then little by little, once we become followers of Jesus, little by little, we begin to follow him more closely. We become more devoted to who he wants us to be. And when all of a sudden we get that, all of a sudden it should release us to be more engaged inviting because you're not responsible for saving them. You're just responsible for being faithful with the invitation. And this comes down to two things, all right? I wanna give them to you. The two simplest things I could tell you. We've actually been called to do two things. And here they are. We've been called to invest and invite. In fact, would you say that we say invest? Say invite. That's it. We just invest and invite. Let me explain how that works. Invest and invite. It means that basically we, we start the process of investing through relationship with them before we ever invite them. Uh, they did some research, and I said a comment last week, but I wanted to verify that that data is still true. Um, here's what they found. They found that four out of five people, so 80%, 80% of people would say yes to going to church with someone that they trust. If there's trusted relationship there, 80% of people would be an instant, yeah, I'll go to church with you. I, I don't necessarily believe what you believe, but I'll, I'll go. I'll go with you because I trust you. Out of relationship, they will respond. In fact, do you know that Jesus knew this? Jesus understood this maybe better than anyone. Um, if you were to go through the Bible, there are 132 encounters that Jesus has with people in his ministry, 132. If you were to quantify them and break them down, here's what you'd find. You'd find that six of them, six of them took place in the temple. So where everyone gathered for worship, the big place that everyone would come to gather and talk about God, six times he encountered people there in the temple. Four times he encountered them in a synagogue, a local temple, basically a small temple, four times. 122 were in people's everyday life, at parties, at banquets, in boats, on the side of the waters, like in the middle of town, in people's living rooms, like 122. Like, I don't know if that says something to you that it says to me, but it says to me the majority of Jesus' ministry was not him expecting people to come to him, but it was him going to the people. It was him being in their life. It was him showing up where they were and encountering them. In fact, one of the greatest illustrations of this I think it was a moment where Jesus decided to travel through an area that he wasn't supposed to travel through. Um, there was a time that Jesus grabbed his disciples and they were making their way to a destination. And on the way, Jesus made a decision that instead of going around, which is what they would normally do, he said, we're gonna actually cross through Samaria. 
Now, Samaria was filled with Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans didn't welcome Jews in, and Jews didn't want to be there anyways. So normally, Jewish people would walk the long way around Samaria to get to their destination, but one time that Jesus was with his disciples, he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cruise right on through. And his disciples were like, uh, why? <laughs> let's just go around. We got the time, you know? And Jesus like, no, let's go through. So they get to this place in Samaria called Sychar. And there at Sychar, Jesus comes upon a well, which is kind of an important part. It's like people would build towns around wells because you needed water in these desert regions. So it's the middle of the day. Nobody's there. Empty well. Jesus shows up with his disciples. The disciples say, hey, we need to go get some food. So Jesus sends the disciples into town to go get food. So Jesus is now alone in the middle of the day at a well. And the reason that no one is at the well in the middle of the day is because in their culture, you would only go get water in the morning. In the morning was the coolest part of the day, so you would trudge up there. I want you to imagine you're, you're carrying a stone pot a long ways. You'd carry it up there. You'd then go down into the well. You'd fill it up, and then you'd carry now filled with water back to your home. And then the water would be there in the cool of the day so that in the heat of the day, you'd be undercover, under shade. You'd have access to water. Pretty simple. But all of a sudden, a woman shows up in the middle of the heat at a well, and Jesus is there. Now, all of a sudden, she recognizes, one, he's a man, so they're not supposed to actually have a dialogue. Number two, she figures really quick that he's Jewish. That's also a problem. And she's talking about how she's there to get water in the middle of the day, and Jesus then says something crazy. He said, hey, how would you like to have water that's eternal? How would you like to have water that is a spring that will well up inside of you and you'll never need to drink again? And she's confused by what he's saying. She's like, uh, I know how this works. We get water, we drink it, we need more water. It doesn't become a spring. She's like, he's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He goes, I'm talking about spiritually. I can give you something that will last eternal. Would you be interested? And then he drops a bomb on her. All of a sudden, this woman, he, he basically conveys to her that he knows more about her than she could possibly imagine because in that moment, he says to her, I know that you've been married five times and I know that you're living with a man right now that is not your husband. And as soon as Jesus says these words, this woman is caught off guard. She's in shock. And she's like, you must be a prophet. Like, you must know this. Like, how could you possibly know this? And this encounter changes her in such a dramatic way. Now, I want to give you some context here. The reason this woman is there in the middle of the day is because when Jesus reveals to her why it is that she is the way that she is, the reason she's there in the middle of the day is because she was not allowed to go in the morning with the other women. She didn't want anything to do with them and they wanted nothing to do with her. She was an outsider. She was an outcast. She was there in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, to encounter a man who could tell her everything that she'd ever done because in that was the spot where she felt the safest. And yet the story goes this way, that all of a sudden the woman, after encountering Jesus and he offers this well that can spring up inside her, that can be eternal, he basically gives her the gospel. He conveys that he is the Messiah as soon as this happened, this woman does something crazy. She leaves her jar, which is why she was there. She leaves the well, which is why she was there. And she goes into the place where she has the greatest fear and the greatest pain. She goes into the town where she wasn't welcome. And here's what it is that she said. She said, come and see a man who told me all that I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? See, what I love about this story is that something so dramatically changed in her that all of a sudden it became paramount to her that she didn't just get it for herself, but that she shared it with other people. She said, I really want you to come and I want you to see who Jesus is. You see, in this moment, this woman became the catalyst for a bunch of other people to come and encounter Jesus, a bunch of outsiders in a place that Jesus wasn't supposed to be, a place that he wasn't necessarily welcome 
And in this moment, she becomes the catalyst that brings others to himself. And I don't know if you relate with this story the way that I do. I relate with this story because there was a time in my life that I was far from God and God encountered me right where I was at and he saved me, he redeemed me, he gave me a hope and he gave me a future and I'm thankful for that. And I would love to tell you that the moment that that happened, I, I started thinking about all the people that were lost and all the people in my circle that needed Jesus, but I didn't. It didn't take me very long to become a very selfish Christian. Really early on, it was easy for me to go, well, I got my salvation and everyone else needs to figure theirs out, right? If people are looking for a church, they can just Google it. Right? If you're looking for a church, you can find a church. It's not like that churches are hiding. We're not hiding out over here like you can find us, right? But the issue becomes is do I care enough about people that they encounter the same Savior that I encountered? Do I care about people's futures, their eternities, their salvation? And I'll just put it in the most relatable way I can. If, if you had the cure for cancer and, and you kept it to yourself, I would define that as selfish, I would. I don't know if you've encountered that. I've got family members that died of cancer. I've been at the bedside of people that have died of cancer. It is a horrible, awful thing to walk through that with someone. There's some of you today, you're fighting that right now. And it's an awful thing, but if, if you found out that someone you knew had the cure for cancer, but they didn't share it, you would probably be upset with them. I would be. I'd be like, what's that about? Like, I don't get it. Why would you not give that away? Why would you not share that with those around you? And as a believer in Jesus, here's what I can tell you. The Bible says that there is an eternity ahead of us, that you were made for eternity. And you're gonna spend that eternity either in the presence of God for eternity or you're gonna spend eternity separated from him forever. And it's based on the choice that you make in this life, how you will live in eternity. And I don't know about you, but I think about cancer. Cancer is something that's temporary that leads to death, to a doorway. And we'd be upset that someone didn't share that, yet we're talking about we hold in our hands the ability for someone to spend the eternity with a God who loved them and created them. And if we keep it to ourselves, I would say that that is just as selfish. At what point do we recognize that our invitation is not about us pressing our beliefs upon other people as much as our invitation is about making sure that people have a lifeline thrown to them so that they have the choice to spend where they're gonna spend their eternity. That's upon us. Do we feel that way? Do we sense this? And I love that this woman had an instant encounter and her first thought was come and see. A man who told me everything I ever did. See if we might be challenged to follow him in the same way. And I'm reminded that our invitation is a little bit like this bungee strap. I don't know if you ever use these things. These are really, really, really great tools. Like, like if you need to strap something down, tighten something up, make sure something doesn't fall off your car. Like these are great. I love to have these around. You know what's interesting about a bungee strap though? A bungee strap is most comfortable when it's not stretched. It's most comfortable. This is its natural state, right? But it's most usable and it's most effective when it is. When it's stretched, it becomes useful. But this is its natural state it wants to be in. And I think we as followers of Jesus at some point, we would love to stay here. We just like to be comfortable. But at some point, we gotta apply a little pressure and we gotta be stretched a little bit so that we can become the useful tools that God wants us to be to change this world. And this is what this invitation's about. It's about us as a people being stretched when it comes to sharing our faith with others. It's gonna stretch some of you. It's gonna stretch you to invite someone. It's gonna stretch you to, to, to pray for them. It's gonna stretch you to, to create room. In fact, you know what it might stretch? Let me just kind of tell you where we're at. I had someone on our leadership team the other day wanted to get with me and talk about the status of Vail. Like, I don't know if you know our story, but just several years ago, pre-COVID, uh, we were at four full services. We were getting ready to build a, a $12 million addition to put 1,700 seats here on property so that we could create more room. Then COVID hit, and all of a sudden, we, we only had like 1,500 people come back to church after COVID because there's a ton of people online, and there's still a bunch of people online. And they were asking like, oh, well, well what are we gonna do? Like, what if they don't come back? I was like, well, that's not up to me. My job is to be faithful where I am, and if they come back, that's, that's actually up to God to move in their hearts and bring them back. I said, but I'm not convinced that we won't see it start to pick back up and we won't begin to grow again. He said, well, what happens when we grow? 
I said, we'll be back in the same conversations. We'll either have to build something, we'll have to plant something, we'll have to launch something, we'll have to convince other churches to join us so we can create more room. I don't know, we'll have to get creative, but the reality is, is that it's gonna be uncomfortable. It's gonna be uncomfortable. And I even look in this room right now, I need some of you guys to start moving to Saturday night, so I'm gonna have to launch another Saturday night service. It's getting full in here. Our last service was full. And I'm not telling you not to go. In fact, I'm gonna actually flip it. If you're online and you haven't been back to church, come back to church. We're gonna make room for you. I want you in the house of God with God's people worshiping your Lord and your Savior. I want you in the house. I want you here. And I wanna create space, because I love this. I'm gonna show, let me show you how the story ends. Here's how it ends. It says, and the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and say with me, it says, compel them, compel them. Like, I feel guilty sometimes, like, stop watching at home, come into the church. And some of you, you live in different states, I get it. it you can't make that drive, so you stay online. But, but some of you, you're nearby. Like, come back, why? Because my job is to compel you to gather together. The Bible says, do not neglect gathering together, as is the habit of some. He says, man, get together, let the body be the body. But he says, compel them to come in, that my house may be, say it with me. Our job is to fill it up. Our job is to fill it up. And when it gets full, we create more space and we fill it up again. Like we've gotta be on mission. Why? Because it's too important not to be. Man, can I just level with you? I'm out of time, but let me just, there are people that we say we love. We love them. And I just wanna, this is the way I think about it. I'll just give you the way I think about it. Maybe this doesn't work for you, but it always does for me. I think like, like I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat, but like, like on boats, they got life preservers all along the, 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 the sides. They got, you know, like the, the emergency boats. But I want you to imagine you're on a boat and you're cruising by and all of a sudden you look out into the water and you see someone in the water and they're struggling. There's no land in sight. They, they, they can't swim. They're, they're running out of energy. Like, like in that moment, like, like what do you do? Do you wave at them? Like, right? Do you do a, I see you, I see you. God bless you. You know, like, like what do you do? The majority of us, the majority of us would be like, we'd scramble. We'd start yelling. We'd be like, stop the boat, turn the boat, no one's listening. We'd look for a life preserver, and what we do, we give it our best, man. We would just, we would chuck it. Man, we would grab another, we would throw two. Like, we would do whatever. Some of you are crazy enough, you'd be like, I'm gonna get the life preserver, I'm gonna jump in the water, and I'm gonna go get them. Some of you, that's what you would do. And I think it's funny that in that moment, we would think that way. Now imagine it's not some random person. Imagine it's your son, it's your daughter, it's your mother, it's your father, it's your grandparent, it is your friend, it is your loved one. How much more are you gonna do everything in your power to save them? Man, if you are here and you love Jesus and they don't know him and you believe what the Bible says about eternity, I would hope the natural response would be I'm getting in that water, someone's getting wet, and this boat is getting turned because I'm not letting you go beneath those waves without some effort on my part to make sure that you are safe. That's what we're gonna do. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to be on the boat and I'm gonna ask you to save someone's life. Invite them to church, let God do the work that God can do. With every head bowed, every eye closed in this place, here's my challenge for you. Who are you inviting? Who are you bringing? Who's coming with you? And if you're in this room right now, or you're online, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never trusted him. Man, can I tell you, I want to throw you a lifeline right now. The Bible says that God loved you so much, he sent his one and his only son, Jesus, to come and live and die in your place for your sin, but he didn't leave him dead. He raised him to new life. He gave him a, he gave him a future in that moment. He said, listen, there's life on the other side of death, and I wanted to prove it through my son, Jesus, and I want to offer you that same life. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he was raised from the dead. If you believe that, that's how you get on God's grace, his mercy, his goodness, and his forgiveness. And you can do that right now, wherever you are. You just talk to God. He's here. He's listening. 
You simply say, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. I place my faith, my trust in Jesus as my Lord. In that moment, as you believe, as you engage your faith, God Almighty saves you instantly because of his goodness, his grace, his mercy. God, I thank you for those that are saying yes to you. I pray you send the Holy Spirit to lead them, guide them, empower them. Help them to follow you all the days of their life. God, help them to submit to your authority. God, help them to live the way that you want them to live. I pray that we as a church would be on constant mission to invest and to invite. That God, we'd see you do miraculous things through that devotion, through that obedience. We love you. It's in your precious name that we pray. And the church said? And the church said? Amen. I want to remind you before you leave today, if you've not written those names, stop in the lobby, grab that light bulb, write those names, put it in the board. And if you're online, text in the light to 309-777-0677. And we'll make sure those names get written on there. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.